You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Bellying up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar, pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris, his name is Ed. This show brought to you like every episode of Socks in the Basement, 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans, by family waterproofing solutions. They are available 24-7. They have so much going on, and you've got a few more days here in the month of November to get 10% off customer appreciation. Family Waterproofing Solutions voted Best of the Southland by the Daily South Town, and they're giving you 10% off this month as uh, appreciation. You also get money off if you mention socks in the basement. They do window wells and bowing walls, and if you got seepage or water in your basement, some pump issues, inspections, and now they're doing gutter cleaning. They were just out at the house this week cleaning the gutters. They give a great price on that right now. I was told by Ken that his wife Maria called him, Ed, Right after we started mentioning that on Socks in the Basement, they were inundated with calls from Socks in the Basement listeners for gutter cleaning alone. Oh, wow. Well, did Chris mention gutter cleaning? He's like, yes, I asked him to mention it. She's like, we're getting an insane amount of calls for gutter cleaning. And they're not behind. They actually moved me up from my original date the other day because they're going through them quicker than they think that they're going to take. So they're getting out there to clean the gutters. It's really quick. There's no mess afterwards. It's a good price. Why mess with it? They worked around my Christmas lights that were already hanging up there. So get out there. Get Family Waterproofing Solutions to take one of these really annoying tasks, which is cleaning your gutters, right off of your hands, 708-330-4466, or go to FamilyDry.com. All right, Kendall Graveman, newest member of the show hey. in Chicago White Sox. I actually really like the move. I do too. There were some people that got a little overexcited about him, and I want to I want to first explain something about Kendall Graveman <laughs> in comparison to Craig Kimbrell, who we all hate. And I just want I just want to throw this right. out there: the the knock on on Craig Kimbrell is that he was really good in the first half of the year, came to the White Sox and was terrible, so we don't want him. We're getting rid of him, right? Right. Kendall Graveman had his best season ever last year. Okay, he was with the Mariners and went to the Astros. His lowest WHIP, his his best metrics. He's coming off his best year. In the first half of the season, a walks and hits per innings pitched, a whip of 0.69, kind of like what Kimbrell was, 4.1 hits per nine innings, and 2.2 walks per nine innings. Then he got traded, just like Kimbrell did. And the wheels came off. 1.39 whip, 7.8 hits per nine innings, that's nearly double, and more than double in walks per nine innings, 4.7 for the regular season for the Astros. Now, there are two things that stand out to me about him. One of those things is that Graveman then went out and performed in the postseason. Yes. So that that's a little bit different, uh, along with the fact that there's actually three things, along with the fact that he's half the money of Kimbrell. Kimbrell's $16 million, Graveman's only eight. So I'm willing to roll the dice a little bit more on Graveman going out there and pitching well for the White Sox next year than Kimbrell because it's half the money for crying out loud. And you do have to replace right now. Think about it. If you're going to trade Craig Kimbrell, you have to replace him. You have to replace Kopech out of the bullpen, who's now moving into the rotation. 
and you have to replace Tapera, who's a free agent, and you don't know if they're bringing him back. They still should bring him back. They need more in that bullpen. Three things leaving, one coming back does not make your bullpen better. Kind of like how the starting rotation is not better right now with Carlos Rodon gone and Michael Kopech in there. You are actually a downgrade across the board pitching-wise as you stand right now, so there's more work to do. But the other thing that I found interesting about Kendall Graveman is I think he throws five pitches, and the one he throws the least, at least over the last year or so when he's gotten good, when he finally figured it out, he changed how often he threw his fastball. He barely throws it. He throws all kinds of junk up there. And what was the thing that we talked about with this this pitching staff? They're all the same. Yeah, everybody's fastball slider, fastball slider. So he's a definite change of pace coming out of the bullpen that will throw off batters, and that's not only going to matter in the regular season, but it's really going to matter in the postseason. So that's why I love the move. Well, the other thing to remember about Kendall Graveman, too, is is that last year is really his first year as a full-time reliever. Uh, Prior to that, he was a starter. The Mariners were trying to make him a starter. He had mixed results. He had injuries. He had problems. But, you know, you look at a split – as to whether or not he's more effective when he was a starter or as a reliever, if you're looking at his career numbers, as a starter, 80 games, and his stats are really kind of bleh. You know, they're not they're not very good. 1.387 whip, and it's not terrible, it's not great. 5.8 strikeouts per nine. Gives up homers, gives up walks. Just generally speaking, not as effective as he needs to be in, in the 450 innings he's put in. But last year as a reliever... Now his ERA drops from a career 446 to a 2.17, which is good, uh, but his whip goes down under 1, 0.962. And it's partially because, you know, as a reliever, pitchers can leverage their pitches better in those shorter stints than when they're trying to establish something. And for a guy like Graveman to come out and be able to sit there and say, I've got five pitches to, th- to throw, not five pitches to throw, but I got five pitches I can choose from to, to hopefully throw, you know, more than five pitches. Uh, but to, for him to be able to come out there and say, okay, I'm going to attack this guy a certain way, and it doesn't have to be I'm going to come out and I'm going to throw the heat and I'm going to try and blow this guy away with 98 at the upper end of the upper end of the zone, or I'm going to throw a slider low and away, or I'm going to try and establish a black, you know backdoor slider, you know, coming in off the inside corner, something like that. Those types of things, it's a huge, huge difference. And so for the Sox, what they're getting is they're getting a guy who is learning on the job last year. And yeah, he did do a little bit better when he was a closer. In save situations, he was just a touch better than in non-save situations. But he also pitched for two competitive teams. The Mariners were competing all year, and then we know what the Astros did. And he showed up. You're right. He showed up in the playoffs. And a lot of what you said makes sense, even though I screwed something up there at the beginning when I was introducing him. What he did is he got rid of his cutter. His cut, that, his cut fastball is what he got rid of. His four-seamer was not what he... He actually increased it slightly, but overall, when you look at the cutter and the four-seamer and you put them together, he still throws a slider more often. He throws a sinker 60% of the time. Like, that's he's a sinker ball pitcher. And what he did yeah. is he got rid of his changeup. Basically, his entire career, throwing a changeup almost one out of every five times. He throws it 5% of the time in 2021. So what he does is he keeps the sinker going. And he adds a slider into his repertoire, which is 17% of the time he's throwing. And he still has a curveball that he's throwing about 5 6%. And then he throws the four-seamer more than he throws a cutter. He basically gets rid of the cutter completely. Like, that must have been a pitch that was killing him. And what he does is, like I said, he's got one, two, three, four, six different pitches that he throws. Four-seam, sinker, cutter, curve, slider, change. And what he's done is he said... Forget the change and forget the cutter, they're killing me. 
uh, add in the slider uh, and throw that better and rely on the sinker more than anything. And that's, that's a different kind of pitcher than what we get out of the White Sox, right? I mean, like, that's, that's a different guy. Yeah, he'll throw a four-seamer. I'm not saying he won't throw a four-seamer, but it's rare compared to the other pitches that he throws up there. Yeah, well, he kind of feels like a right-handed Aaron Bummer, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because Bummer was one of the few guys that didn't give the same look coming out of the pen as everybody else. And you know what else? I I keep seeing people saying, well, the best pitcher now in the, the back end, like they're making their back end up, and they're saying the, in this order, you know, for seven, eight, nine, Bummer, Graveman, and uh, Liam Hendricks. In saying that, you're almost saying Bummer's third on that list. I actually depend on Bummer more. I know some people don't like Aaron Bummer, but... Like I said, Kendall Graveman, a great first half last year and a subpar second half last year, but a good postseason. I don't know if I necessarily say he's the second best option out of your bullpen. I, people are excited about him, and I think he's a great pickup, and he definitely improves your bullpen. But if you put if you put expectations on him to be uh, just every time he's out there, it's perfect, you're going to be a disappointed White Sox fan base. And I think that's one of the things that we do way too much of as a fan base, or there's at least a section of this fan base that does that is that you watch baseball like you're watching a football game. You know, there's 162 games and a much longer playoff stretch. In fact, there's more playoff games if unless they unless they sweep through the playoffs. They're going to play more playoff games than you're going to see Bears games this year. You know? And so, like, if they go through it's it, true. That, that's how baseball works. So to live and die on every performance is something that we need to kind of get away from. And Kendall Graveman, I think, is overall an upgrade to your bullpen. There are more things that need to be done. And, and, and that's something that I kind of want to dive into today. Because when you look at the rumors of what the White Sox could be doing, of, of what they're looking at, of what they're targeting, if you look at some of these people that, that tweet, that, are, that follow baseball, Major League Baseball uh, coverage, uh, guys like Bob Nightingale, John Heyman, or these accounts that pop up on Twitter that are right sometimes, you know, I'm talking about like the, the Portillo's hamburger account or the, the right. one that's named not Steve Ciszek. There's a couple of accounts every once in a while, light shines upon them and they had a rumor before anybody else got it. And so uh, the, the Jeff Passons of the world, which is a little bit more reputable than the other two I just mentioned. But as you go through them, I'm starting to see a pattern on certain players And I'm starting to wonder if you put them all together, are the White Sox really about to do something incredible this offseason or is it just hype? And I want to talk about that right after I tell you that something that is not hype is Cork and Carey and Cork and Carey at the park. The burgers at Cork and Carey at the park are award winning and they're spectacular. The food over there is amazing. And before, during and after a ball game, it's a much better value than what you're going to get when you walk inside the ballpark at 35th and Shields. Cork and Carey at the park is open in the offseason. If you want to head over there with some friends, catch some lunch, get some dinner, have some beers, they're still available. They're a great neighborhood tavern. And then there's Cork and Carry in Beverly, the traditional Irish Southside pub with the Guinness on tap and all the different options, the big giant bar, the multiple rooms that you can rent out for different parties. You can rent out both locations, either a room or the entire bar for any of your activities this holiday season. See all they have to offer at CorkandCarry.com. Before I get into these ones that I've collected, give me one or two free agents that you are are sure or you are at least thinking that the White Sox are targeting right now based upon rumors. I, you know, the one name that's popped up a couple of times is Robbie Ray. Yeah. And, And I... 
you know, I, and I know that you know I've seen I've seen it kind of listed both ways as Robbie Ray is a specific target or Robbie Ray is the slang term in the Twitterverse for going after the top end of the pitching market, right? Um, but Ray last year was everything that Carlos Rodon was, but slightly more reliably, if that makes a, l- a little bit of sense. Yeah, his wins uh, above you know. replacement was lower overall on the season than Rodon, but you're right about that. There was more consistency and his arm didn't fall off at the end. Well, and he has a history of not having his arm fall off at the end, which is also important. Ray's biggest thing was that he felt like when he was with the Diamondbacks that they started to try and monkey with his mechanics because they didn't like where his arm slot was. So they wanted him to come more over the top. And finally, for Toronto, past couple of years, he just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm going back to what I'm comfortable doing. And the results, you know, he turned around and had just a a huge year. It's a young year, right? So I mean, and think about this now. He was brutal leading into that. Okay, in 2020, he spent, you know, here's the funny thing about Robbie Ray. In a 60-game schedule, he somehow was on two different teams in 2020. Right. <laughs> and, like, and he was terrible for both of them. He had a whip of two. 2.000 with Arizona, and then a whip of 1.742 with Toronto in that short season. And, and, the, and if you throw out that year, though, he's a guy who has sat in the last three years be- before that shortened season at a 1.15 and then he was in the very low 1.3s, which would at least put you at the back end of a person's rotation. But that's his worst case. I, when I look at his floor, his floor is still better than Dallas Keuchel this year. That's kind of how I look at him. His <laughs> right. floor is still better than Dallas Keuchel. His ceiling is ace of your staff. And if he fall, if you sign him in the offseason and he falls somewhere in the middle of that, that's really all you need out of him because I see improvement coming with Dylan Cease and Lucas Giolito uh, continues to be a solid pitcher overall for this team and Lance Lynn is on this team pitching. So Robbie Ray would be a great pickup, you know, but the problem is that I see tweets like the White Sox are looking for a player like Robbie Ray. What does like mean? Does that mean you're going right. to tell, are you going <laughs> to tell me the, that like, well, this yeah. guy's just like Robbie Ray or are we going after Robbie Ray? Yeah, it's, it's like going in, going in and buying genuine and fake merchandise when you're on vacation somewhere, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, right. Is this a vaccine card that was filled out by the person who gave you the shot? Or did you buy this one on the dark web? Like, which Robbie Ray am I getting, Chicago White Sox? That's what I'm curious. Is this going to be real Robbie Ray or not so real Robbie Ray? That's the part that's maddening when you get into these, these you know, sort of guesstimates out there that, that are going on. And some of them, like you said, there's there's educated work going on out there where they're looking at their sources. They are looking at what's out there. They're listening to what the White Sox want to accomplish and they're putting it together and they're saying things like a Robbie Ray like player, but it's hard to say what that means because Robbie Ray represented on the market is he's like Zach Greinke in some ways. If you look at their war, but he's not because Zach Greinke is on the massively on the downslope of his career. From a war standpoint, he's Marcus Stroman is like Robbie Ray, but Marcus Stroman and Robbie Ray are not the same guy. And Marcus Stroman is not going to come and play here. Marcus Stroman has made it has already been vocal about the fact that this is a team that he wouldn't go to. He's made those inferences yeah. on Twitter, and he kind of seems like a jerk. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I, if you're not on Twitter, you don't know this. But if you follow Marcus Stroman on Twitter, or if you see him trend from time to time. 
he really kind of seems like a jerk. Like he's going to cause trouble throughout oh, the yeah. year. And I'm really not interested in him when I feel like there's other guys that are like I'm Marcus not Stroman. I'm not interested in him either. But but if you're talking about who in the free agent market is like Robbie Ray, if that's what your question is, really, then you get down to Kevin Gaussman, who is, you know, arguably as good, if not better than Ray last year. And I think he'll be he'll be signed in the next couple of days by somebody else, if not already signed. I've already heard so many teams yeah. interested in him, and I don't think the White Sox are jumping in that. No, and then you know the other name that's sitting out there is you know the other names are Scherzer and Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, what if it's and, Alex Cobb? Because that's the possibility. They, they, like well, Robbie, yeah. right? If you look at if you look at WAR, you could go just a little bit below Robbie Ray last year. And you can find Alex Cobb with a 1.264 whip and his fielding independent pitching was 2.92 compared to his ERA of 3.76, which means it was pretty real what he did last year for the Angels. But you go back over right. previous seasons and it's like, Ugh! like his floor, yeah. his floor <laughs> is lower than what I described Robbie Ray's as his ceiling is not as high, but I could see the no. organization trying to tell me, yeah, just like Robbie Ray. He's just kind of like right. him. He's he's Robbie Ray. He's like Robbie Ray. Right. He's he's just like Robbie Ray. You know, it's it's uh, you know, I I know you wanted a Corvette, but a Chevette is just as good. It's, right. It's got in it. You know, <laughs> like, that's kind of how it feels. Like when I look, when yeah. I hear the just like a, a person like Robbie Ray, and I look at the list, I go, oh no, Alex Cobb. Right, and, and Alex Cobb is is definitely not where you want to go in that scenario. And if they are looking, you know, if it is a Robbie Ray represents the top end of the pitching market and that's what you're looking at, then again, you know, you don't have too many choices. And maybe what they're really saying in some sort of code is we're really trying to get Carlos Rodon back into the White Sox rotation. Maybe that's what it is. All right. Other guys. And I, I, I tweeted about this from the Sox in the basement account before Turkey Day, before Thanksgiving. The when I started gathering what all these different people are tweeting about White Sox targets and the ones that I could see more than one mention of a guy or more than one mention of a position that they're going after. And this is after Graveman. You would believe, based upon all the different rumors swirling around the White Sox, that if they had their druthers, there would be at least one more uh, relief pitcher added onto the team. You're going to trade Craig Kimbrell, right? Yeah. You're going to add a starting pitcher. And you're talking about a starting pitcher like Robbie Ray. So we're talking about a person that should slot in the three spot with the potential to be the number one, not, not, a, not just a, just an arm that you throw into the rotation. That's what they're, that's, that's what's floating around the White Sox. Then Michael Conforto, of course, in right field, that seems to be one of the swirling things that you would believe that they're going to do or somebody like him out in right field, Avi Garcia, like Michael Conforto, right. something like that. Okay. But they're going to go. And take care of that issue there. And then Gene Segura is going to be one of the likely people that you grab up and add on to this team in the in the Kimbrel trade. Because I keep I keep seeing the Phillies, right? So if I just go right. off of crazy internet assumptions, I could start to form that picture that the White Sox are going to do that. Now, if the White Sox do that. That's going to be a sizable increase. Like they are, they may be a two hundred million dollar payroll, which is something we didn't believe was possible. But if you if you look at all of that, if that's really what's going on, they're spending money. Uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. But they're they're spending money. Hey, Jackson, the basement guys, me and Lyle. Um, I have a second base option for you, and I think this is going to be a good one because this is where Craig Kimbrell is going to go to the Philadelphia Phillies. 
in order to pick up cheese to do that. It would be a perfect fit for the White Sox. I'd be happy Thanksgiving, guys. Let's kind of circle back to this Phillies thing because I become very interested in the fact that now with signing Graveman, it makes it easier to move Kimbrell. And you keep seeing the Phillies bounce up as a possible landing space. And I keep because seeing, they need a closer. Right. And I keep seeing things like uh, Gene Segura doesn't get along with his manager out there. Gene Segura uh, doesn't uh, do, isn't a very much different price. He's 14 million next year while Kimbrell's 16 million. And then he'll have an option for the year after that if you want to keep him. He also moves all over the infield. In fact, I think he was used at third base more than anything, but he played like almost every position in the infield last year. Yeah, yeah. they needed help last year around their infield, the Phillies did, because Alec Bohm did not arrive the way he should have at third base, and then Reese Hoskins went down at first base, so Bohm had to move over. They had Didi Gregorius coming back. He took shortstop where Segura had played. They had Brad Miller filling in in places. But they also have one of their top prospects is Bryson Stott, who is a guy that's a shortstop by trade, and you figure that they would want to try and slide him in somewhere this year because he's he's about ready to arrive. And I think that's where people are getting the Segura idea from is, well, if they want to put Stott in the lineup somewhere, uh, Segura's the better target than Gregorius. And now here's the thing with Segura. He is, if not anything else, extremely consistent. Yes, like, if you're a White Sox fan that is tired of trying to project guys out and like, oh, I expected this guy to do this and he went down or I expected this guy to be down and he was up or the, all the surprises. The one thing he's not is surprising. He is exactly what you're expecting him to be. One might even say he's a bit boring. Yeah, actually. He, he's a guy who is going to sit most likely in the high ends of the 200s in his in his batting average. All right, I'll go over his last few years, okay? We'll work backwards from 2021. 290, 266, 280, 304, 300, 319. He is what he is. His OPS is going to be around 750 to around uh, 780. Yeah. He might have an outlier year, like his best year was an 867 OPS, but that's what he's going to be. That's going to place him above average. So you're going to have an above average hitter that is going to go out there and play a solid defense and you can move around. Now, I'm fine with him at second base. He's not Marcus Simeon, who I left out. By the way, Marcus Simeon, throw him in there with all those other guys that are being rumored to the White Sox because I keep But we've hearing, all talked about him. Yeah. yeah, but we've talked about him so much, but that's another one that I saw a report. The White Sox are looking for a player like Marcus Simeon. I don't know what that means, right? So, but uh, there's really only one player like Marcus Simeon on the market right now. If they went out and they got like, like imagine this possibility that they make the trade for Segura and then you think that it's over and then they could sit there and they could play games for the rest of the offseason with Boris to see if they can get Simeon because theoretically the White Sox could be replacing Larry Garcia and the idea that Romy Gonzalez is is just going to be the heir apparent in that. Well, if you're really trying to win a World Series, Segura would be in there. And he would play five days out of every seven. And he'd just be moved around to give guys rest. And that's what you do with him. Like, that's what the Dodgers would do. That's what what high-end teams would do. So I love the move. Like, I almost feel like at this point, it, it, it doesn't make any sense that that deal is not done unless the White Sox have another guy out there that they might like more than Segura that, that they could trade Kimbrell for, or if they're trying to get the Phillies to throw in a prospect because they might be trying well, to do and that. And as it well. could be that too. Now the the other 
the other thing is, is that the Phillies may not be willing to part with Gene Segura either. Remember, this isn't a team that's going into a rebuild. This is a team that's trying to build around Zach Wheeler and Bryce Harper and Aaron Nola and some other high-priced guys. And they've got Didi Gregorius, who's who's really the guy sitting in the position that Bryson Stott would be taking over. He is a shortstop. He's not really a second baseman. So they may want to move his $14 million, which the White Sox don't necessarily want to take on Gregorius because he doesn't play second. He hasn't played second. And he hasn't been quite as good. But if you think about in terms of where Rick Hahn lands from point A last year when he makes the trade for Kimbrell to point C, which would be Gene Segura, he would be trading Nick Madrigal and Cody Hauer for a year, maybe two of Gene Segura. That's the outcome. So he may be looking to grab a prospect back there and say, yeah, we'll take off some of the salary. Or the Phillies might be looking and going, yeah, we want you to we want you to match up the salary. We want you to eat the four million off of Kimbrel, and we'll give you you know we'll take on the fourteen and, and keep our payroll the same because the Phillies may not be in a position just to go and throw money at the situation either. Remember, they've got an extremely expensive guy in right field. I think you're hitting this right on the head. If there is a deal that's being worked out with anybody, not just the Phillies, Rick Hahn has to think to himself, you know, at some point it's going to be Nick Mandrigal and Cody Hoyer for this guy I'm acquiring for Kimbrel. And is that good enough? And and it might be that he can't recoup the blunder, the, the thing that did not work out. I, you know, I call it a blunder. It's a blunder if they don't replace him. It's a blunder if they don't fix this going forward. It's a blunder. Um, it, it, when you're going for it at the time and you look at what Kimbrel was, I, I'm pretty sure most people were excited about it. Like I had my trepidations about it, but I still accepted it and said, hey, we're going for it. Let's go. You know? Relief pitching is key in the postseason. I understand what they're doing. Madrigal's not coming back this year. As long as you replace him next year, I'm totally fine with the trade. But now you have to go through that final part. You have to replace him, and that's good. you're right. It's going to be like a, a math equation. It's not you traded Kimbrell for this. It's you traded Madrigal and Hoyer for this. And, th- and that's what the final equation is. And I think that that might be something that's holding up a trade because it, it, the other team is going to look at it as, I don't care what you did to get Kimbrell. This is what we think is equal value. And Han is trying to, he's not trying to trade Kimbrell. He's trying to get what he expected for the value that of Madrigal and and Hoyer. And and that might be the only holdup here. Now, all of that said, I'd be shocked if the White Sox don't make another move before the deadline, because I, I honestly believe looking at what's going on over the last couple of days, there are teams that are like, I don't want to be in the crush after the lockout. I don't want to be like, just like, throwing money at problems if the lockout lasts for a month or a month and a half. So they're trying to wrap up their trades. They're trying to wrap up any loose ends they can here in the next couple of days because it it's basically a deadline where you don't know when things restart again. You might have an idea of it. You might be like me and be bullish on the idea that I don't think it's going to last as long as some people think it's going to last. But since you don't know, you might see some triggers get pulled. And then later, if you didn't like the deal, the explanation is going to be, hey, man, we were heading to a lockout. I did the best I could. You know, fans need to understand that. But I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see moves coming up here in the next couple of days. Oh, and and I would think that that is definitely going to be the case, that, that going this weekend before that lockout is set to start to happen, or just even in the, you know, in the 24 to 48 hours before the CBA expires, that you are going to see teams really make a move and and I'm and I'm seeing stuff where you know they're saying things like Javier Baez for example 
uh, is likely to sign this weekend. And, and the players, some of these players are motivated to get it too because what they may be looking at is if there comes some revenue sharing out of this where some of these teams, you know, if they, if they right now we got the luxury tax and things like that, but if some of these teams get a little bit more hard up to throw money at some of these top-end free agents, some of these guys are going to be willing to take the deal now that's out there on the table instead of sitting there and going, all right, well, now these teams that are looking at the top end are looking to expand their payroll, like, say, the White Sox, because that's what, like you said, everybody keeps talking about this, like they're going to have a really, really high, one of their highest ever payrolls, which would be great if it's spent wisely. But they there may be some of these free agents that know the Sox are interested that are looking at them going, right, but... If the CBA negotiations don't go the way that Jerry Reinsdorf wants them to go, and David Sampson pointed out that Jerry's one of the most vocal guys in the room from the ownership side, if things don't go that way, Jerry may be reluctant to spend some of the money that he is willing to spend under the current CBA or under the idea of things going the way he wants. Or they may be looking at it going, yeah, but you know what? Some of the other values are going to pop up, and some of these teams are going to have to spend money and what that's going to do is, is that's going to create more of a trade market situation and guys are going to be willing to take on more team-friendly contracts rather than go and sign free agents because they're going to have to spend on a replacement for Larry Garcia or some of the you know the bottom line money is going to start coming up a little bit higher on, on teams that are younger. So there's a lot of moving parts with the CBA. So I would expect, I would expect though, that the White Sox, if they're looking at the top of the market, Back to the Robbie Ray-like and Marcus Simeon-like players that don't really exist except for those two guys specifically by name. If they're looking at the top of the market, then this might be the time for them to jump at at least one of those two positions. And now here's the thing. You mentioned Javi Baez may sign very soon, right? When I see a chip like him fall, what I say is that in my mind, Javi Baez was the lowest that I would take at second base. Right. That I would have accepted at second base out of the free agent class. All right. And you can, you can very simply look at the second base and shortstop positions and who's available. And you can just draw a line there. And the only guy above, the only guys above him on the line, if I drew the line at Javi Baez would be Corey Seager, Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Marcus Simeon. So like, or you're making a trade for second base. Like, and that's where the White Sox are the moment that Javi Baez signs, because right below Javi Baez is Cesar Hernandez. You decided you didn't want Larry Garcia. All of that makes it a disaster for Rakan, the whole Nick Madrigal thing. So, like, the Javi Baez moving thing basically tells you the White Sox have to get one of those big four guys. And if they don't go out and get one of those big four guys or find a trade for somebody that you would place above Baez or Madrigal or, like, above Hernandez, pick whatever name out of this group that I'm saying. Garcia, Hernandez, Madrigal, Baez, whatever your your line is. They have to be above that in a trade or they've got to go for one of those big four that I just mentioned. And it's really going to kind of, right then and there, Rick Hahn knows that if he goes below that line, he failed. So he's got to be above it. And I would think that the agents know that too. And the teams that he's dealing with know that too. So it's going to make it very, very interesting. Because in my mind, Baez was the line. That if Javi Baez was playing second base, I'd be like, ah, didn't go the way I wanted it to. But I'll take Javi Baez. He's exciting. He plays defense. We we would have... Enjoyed the heck out of his defense. His bat would have been fine. I mean, he's won a World Series. He's 
kind of a spark plug, you know, there'll probably be like a fight on the field at some point. We'll all be like yeah, on his side and, you know, yeah. And if he, he has a really it. good year, Cubs fans will be really right. mad. He's like, the, he's like the AJ Pruszynski of the team and he's causing trouble all the time. I mean, like, like I could have taken that, right? I can't take anything below that line because below that line is the guy you just let go of, Leary Garcia. <laughs> like we're running into the names of guys that we don't accept as our second baseman next year, are we? Right. So, and above that line are the four guys that I mentioned, Story, Seager, Correa, and Semyon. Those are the only four. And then after that, you're looking at trade like Segura. So, I mean, like these are, this. he's like the line. So when he signs, if it's not with the White Sox, which doesn't seem like it's going to be, it really kind of gives you a very small pool that is acceptable to White Sox fans playing second base in my mind. So it'll be interesting then what the team does as they move forward. Do they get beats by Dre at second base or is it bleats by Trey? You know, because that's what we're looking at. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.